This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with David Spurk, Chief Data Officer of the Department of Defense. Our guest today is a former Marine and served most recently as the Chief Data Officer for the U.S. Special Operations Command. He has significant experience in the intelligence community and will play a critical role in executing the DOD Digital Modernization Strategy. First, Mr. Spurk, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Dave, you have been in public service your entire career, to include being a Marine. What inspired you to go into public service? When I was uh, looking for what to do next, um, I reflected on the things that I enjoyed most prior to enlisting in the Marine Corps. And one of those was playing sports. It was being a part of a team. And the opportunity of joining Uh, one of the best teams of all time, uh, was definitely very attractive to me. And it allowed me to continue doing those things that I liked at a level of importance uh, well beyond the sports field. So I think that's really what first drove me uh, into uh, the Marine Corps. Um, And and what I thought was only going to be four years to experience that, to decide what I wanted to do next, Um, has turned into a a pretty fun journey um, that's taken me all over the world. So um, I I think it was a little bit of of teamwork, uh, a a desire to to be on a high-performing team, uh, but then ultimately um, it was just so exciting that I wanted to stay. Well, thank you for your service. You also spent uh, quite a bit of time focused on the intelligence community. Why focus in that direction? Uh, you know, it's it, it's honestly funny. When I when I uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps, um, the the recruiter asked me, you know, so what do you want to do? And I didn't understand the concept of occupational specialty. Uh, I just said be a Marine. Um, and then he explained to me that there were different categories of being a Marine that you could work your way into. Um, I was previously a, a, a vet tech. That's what I did to pay my way through the end of high school. Um, and then to uh, uh, pay my way through college. And uh, I saw dog handlers, and I thought that looked like a spectacular um, opportunity. And then he had me take the ASVAB. And after I took the ASVAB, um, he pulled me in a side room and said, no, you really need to um, join the, the intel community, you know, and, and be a marine intel specialist. Um, he explained, you know, kind of what they did. Uh, he explained that it was faster promotion, and, and that sounded good to me, having not experienced any of that yet. And so I went ahead and trusted that recruiter, um, and he, he put me on a path that really did allow me an opportunity to, to begin my journey into the, the intel community, which, frankly, you know, culminated at the Office of Director of National Intelligence at one point. That's quite a journey. Can you describe your leadership style? You've both been in the military now, um, you know, public service. How would you describe your leadership style? I, I think it is, it is very familiar. Um, I, I like to think of myself as, as a servant leader. Um, I like to inspire those around me to act in that same manner. A lot of what I think my style is really does go back to 
the, the uh, United States Marine Corps and, and what they taught me um, and hopefully refined in me um, because I had had an opportunity uh, to be a team captain on, on all of my soccer teams, on every sports team I was on. I always, I always found a way to, to get to that leadership opportunity. So I think, you know, the style is active. You have to seek those, those opportunities. But then what the Marine Corps was able to do was, was take what I assessed their definition of leadership was, and it's the sum of the qualities of intellect, human understanding, and moral character, which enables a person to inspire and control a group of people successfully. Um, if you break down every one of those components, um, it, it becomes pretty clear, I think, what we're really talking about. There's some qualities of intellect, and you have to, to, to at least be considered by some to have a domain expertise. Um, when you think about human understanding, um, you know, you, you have to have a, have a, a high EQ. Um, you have to understand those individuals are, that are around you, and you have to, to be able to not fake caring about it. Um, and, and then moral character. If you're not trustworthy, no one's going to follow you anywhere. Um, but, but when you do those things right, and, and they naturally take effect, not artificially, you know, what you really do is have an opportunity to inspire those people to follow you where they want to go. And I think, I think that would probably be my style is to try and get people to see the vision, trust that the design we've laid out can get us there, and then be highly motivated to go help with that lift. So do you ever alter your approach depending upon the audience or the situation? I would say the approach isn't necessarily, um, I don't think you alternate them. I think what you do have the opportunity to do is tailor and place emphasis where it needs to be for the audience that you have. I, I, I like to, to find myself in a position of advantage um, on this one because I have been um, that Lance Corporal in the dirt, but I've also been that senior executive at the Office of Director of National Intelligence and, and have served kind of everywhere in between. So being able to understand uh, both the tactical and strategic needs of leadership and the opportunity to tailor that definition and the components of it in the right time and space, I think has, has been a significant um, advantage for me. Have you ever faced a major leadership challenge that, uh, uh, or obstacle? And uh, can you share that story and how maybe you got through it? Yeah, I, I think I might be experiencing it now. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I uh, just 12 weeks ago, you know, accepted and moved into the job of the, the DOD uh, chief data officer and, and, you know, finding senior leaders uh, who are highly motivated to begin, um, you know, running towards this, this data driven department's future um, and understanding at a very tactical level, um, the junior most people coming in having an expectation that the way they live and operate and, and move in their personal lives um, which are all data driven, you know, should be instantly available to them. Um, you know, where, where you prioritize your initial focus uh, coming into this role has proven to be challenging because there is so much opportunity in front of us um, to transform both business analytics and joint warfighting. Um, I have leaned uh, towards the joint warfighting um, as I came on board. So I, I think, uh, you know, one of the leadership challenges 
is how do I take the initial operating capability of the DOD CDO, prioritize it in one space while not ignoring the mission support um, and the business analytics, which are as important in, in time. So you, not only did you just take on this huge miss, mission 12 weeks ago, but in the course of your initial uh, start on the position, uh, you know, the uh, COVID-19 happened. And um, what a challenging time for all of us with the current threat. Uh, this is impacting everyone across the world, and people are definitely looking for clarity uh, to find the courage from their leadership. And um, certainly data has a tendency to, to give people peace, right, and, and to show focus. What, what do you believe are the leadership qualities that are really needed during these very stressful times that we're experiencing right now? I, I think you have to have a high degree of understanding that every individual's situation is unique. Um, that while we are all coming together uh, via a variety of platforms, um, that we are all still somewhat isolated. Um, and we're isolated not only in our personal and professional lives, um, but, but also our, our, our emotional lives. Um, you know, we, we have um, parents who don't know if they should put their kids back in school or not, um, yet still have a, you know, 60 plus hour a week job um, where we need them to show up to have their full attention because the differences we're going to make now in the department um, are going to impact our America's strategic future. And so, so as we start to think about um, what it takes to be a leader in that environment, I think you really have to have an intimate understanding of what is going on, not only in your life, which would be driving your good days and bad days, um, but also those of the people in your organization um, so that you can know um, when to expect somebody's full attention on a project um, and, and when to be completely understanding that they have another priority and it probably revolves around a, a family matter. And, and your ability to navigate through there is going to really drive the success of your organization. I'm speaking with David Spurk, Chief Data Officer, Department of Defense. After the break, we'll discuss the leadership decision-making in communication and why it is important to have the right combination. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with David Spurk, Chief Data Officer of the Department of Defense. What is the most important type of decisions you can make as a leader for your organization? I think leaders are responsible for several things. The most important, I believe, is prioritization and pace. I think as a leader in an organization as large as the Department of Defense, with so many demands on your time, on your team's time, that if you can relentlessly prioritize and, and help them prioritize, that you'll actually increase capacity um, and be able to, to do the things that matter the most for whatever business unit you might be discussing. Um, and then when I say uh, pace, it really is setting realistic expectations 
of when on a temporal uh, basis you'll be able to expect to begin seeing the results to move towards that prioritized goal that you have. So I think prioritization and, and setting the, the tempo are two of the most important decisions a senior leader can make. So when you go to make a decision, uh, how do you approach how and what you would decide? Do you make a decision by committee or do you think a leader should just make them or it depends? I think the, the answer is, is it depends. Um, but also you can't be afraid to make a decision. Um, decisiveness, in my opinion, is one of the key leader attributes, uh, but also confidence that after you've decided, um, if you need to change directions, you can be as decisive to do that. You know, getting your team's feedback is, is very important. Building consensus before you have to make a decision, um, at least as much consensus as you can, um, is also important. But at the end of the day, a leader needs to make a decision and the team needs to trust that that decision is the best for your organization. So I think decisiveness is one of those key leader traits. Do you think the decision process for leaders need to change under stressful times like uh, in the battlefield or in times like we're facing right now with COVID? Um, I I don't know that you need to change it. Maybe just uh, accelerate the opportunity to do the uh, collaboration, to try to um, gain all of the unique perspectives required so that the leader can make the most informed decision uh, for the team that they're on. Um, I think today's environment has provided us an opportunity to begin leveraging um, tools that the commercial world has been using for some time. Um, You know, I I run a a basketball training company that I started down in Tampa, in addition to being the DOD CDO. And in the midst of doing that, um, one of the things that's allowed me to continue driving that, that uh, business towards success was the use of just commercially available platforms like Slack. You know, Mr. DC and the team in the DOD CIO providing the platform of CVR, of Microsoft Teams, has allowed us to, to take a commercial application in the time of COVID, begin experiencing its use inside the Department of Defense, and, and it's really driven us to a place that we're able to have situational awareness um, and, and operations closer to the commercial world um, and not necessarily uniquely DOD um, driven. And, and that really has been a boon and allowed us to do consensus building in new and unique ways. And I think that we're starting to see the tactical forces and the strategic forces and leaders um, converge on some of these platforms and really start leveraging for effect. Um, Dave, you've had a very successful career making an impact for our brave men and women in the military. What accomplishments are you most proud of that you were able to lead, to lead your team to accomplish during your career? That's a tough question, uh, Eileen. Um, when I start thinking about what I've been able to do, I really think more about what the teams um, have allowed me um, to do. You know, down at SOCOM, I I just had a blast. I I left the best job in the world. Um, And I was so empowered by by first General Tony Thomas, T2, and then General Richard Clark um, to be direct reports to them and to set a very clear vision around a few lines of effort, you know, create an AI-ready workforce, um, conducting AI outreach, and, and then just applied AI. Um, the gains that we made during that, that short two-year stint, um, because we had operators 
who were willing to experiment. We had leaders who were willing to, to try new things, allowed us to take the, 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 the Night Stalkers, the 160th, and just transform the way that they do uh, readiness um, on live data to be able to identify engines before they were going to fail, um, you know, and really set those conditions for the future. So, you know, a lot of them aren't necessarily flashy, um, but what I think we were able to do, at least in, in the last position I was in, was set conditions for my replacement at SOCOM, Tom Kenny, to have the tools at his disposal to really take SOCOM and, and hopefully every organization um, that I've been a part of um, to the next level. I, I see my job as really, um, you know, spending some time um, ensuring the sustainability of the vision that the commander had, and then making sure we bring in someone much better than myself to take those resources and to take the organization to the next level. Now, you ran a uh, data engineering like laboratory down there for AI. Uh, that must have been amazing. You were trying to get your team and, and folks to actually look at net new technology. Anything you wish you would have known uh, before you got started and trying to take on some of this new technology and then implementing it into a, you know, a, a military force that hadn't really leveraged that type of technology before or trusted it? Yeah, I think uh, organizationally what we've learned as a department, um, not necessarily what, what, what I think is the most important on some of these efforts, the data engineering lab as a concept uh, was created and, and, and I was allowed to create it by General Thomas um, because it, it had three things associated with it and it would allow us to, to do these three things. It was, it was people, um, it was technology, and it was also a big indicator of the cultural change. You know, we, we built it out in town. Um, it didn't look like a cubicle farm. Um, it definitely doesn't look like the Pentagon. Um, but what we were able to do in that environment was to, to bring the, the pieces of that, the people, the tech, and the culture together in one spot and start problem solving. Now, one of the things I have learned is as a department, we still need to spend a lot of time and attention on the people. Um, we still don't have the right balance there. Um, we need a lot more men and women in uniform who have an understanding of this technology and a technical proficiency in it. Um, I talk about it in terms of a, of a build, buy, and rent model. You know, I did not appreciate how much we were renting the force via great contract teammates. But I think that, that when we'll know we made the change is that we'll have built our men and women in uniform into a, a, a personal pipeline that, that the, the talent to understand this technology as a tactical leader and a strategic leader, you know, is just right. So they're demanding it every day and have an improved understanding like our strategic leaders are beginning to uh, of making the decisions um, that leaders need to make in this environment, not just IT professionals who used to be in a corner, but, but increasingly understand that we're talking about war fighting systems and war fighting systems are decisions commanders need to both understand um, and make themselves. So I think an increased attention on how do we build more talent, how do we buy more government civilians um, and reduce the need to rent contractors over time is something I should have probably prioritized because I just didn't understand exactly how difficult it was going to be 
to, to onboard um, government civilians and find um, talented uh, uniform members, not because they didn't exist, but because when somebody found one uh, that was really good in the data space or the AI space, um, senior leaders are completely understandably reluctant to let that person go. So you, you, you drove a lot of change and getting organizations to adopt change is always one of the biggest leadership challenges. How do you approach leading an organization to adopt major change? I mean, what's your strategy to keep them focused on sometimes what might, some might believe might be the impossible? Yeah, I, I think uh, creating a vision is the first most important component of that. Um, the senior leaders know where they want to take their organization helping them define that story, um, helping them identify the, the, definitely on the data front, the problems they want to solve, um, and then turning that into human speak, turning that into a narrative that doesn't sound like um, a data professional where the air up here is very refined and all the troglodytes down at the bottom need to learn to speak like me, but rather a narrative that both sides can understand, the technical experts and the domain leaders isn't important. So I, I think starting with the compelling story um, of, of what you need to do. After that, I think it's establishing those series of quick wins where you can demonstrate to that senior leader and the force writ large that you are making movement in that direction. Um, it, it's, it's actually pretty easy on the data front because we walked into this with an overwhelming understanding that this is happening in an industry and we really hadn't started doing too much of it yet. And so once we started showing some of those quick wins, once we started showing our, our move towards that predictive or prescriptive future with artificial intelligence, the organizing of the data to the left of that prediction allowed us to start doing the business analytics things that we should have been doing um, for some time. And so to see the proficiency and efficiency gain in real time associated with the story that it was centered on really has been a tact that I've um, employed, but I think it's just natural in the time that we're in. Um, we have senior leaders who definitely are driven by the need to get to that artificial intelligence uh, driven future. Um, what we need to increasingly explain is there's, there's about 75% of that project left of prediction that really is the hard data engineering work to make those, the, the, to make the data good enough to make the data workflow testable and repeatable. Um, and if we can walk into that desire for a predictive end and with, with an improved understanding that, that we're going to spend 75% of our time and resources getting the data right to persistently de deliver that prediction, I, I think, I think uh, we'll get it right. And those were some of the things that, that I definitely used. Uh, when I was at SOCOM, those are some of the things that I used when I was with uh, SAF CDM um, and, and definitely tricks of the trade um, in the Intel community at US CENTCOM when, when I was down there. I'm speaking with David Spurk, Chief Data Officer of the Department of Defense. Coming up next, we'll talk about handling change in the aftermath of crisis. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today we're talking with David Spurk, Chief Data Officer of the Department of Defense. In the last segment, we talked about change. 
Times of crisis have historically been opportunities for change. You know, when the COVID crisis hit, the Pentagon had to push most of your employees to pivot to telework. Um, what has been some of the biggest challenges that leaders face with working remotely? Yeah, I, I uh, once again want to give, you know, Mr. Dana DC and, and the, the entire, you know, CIO enterprise, not just inside the department, uh, but across government, um, a shout out in, in facilitating this, this rapid move to teleworking, remote working, and, and whatever hybrid model we're, we're in today. Because what they've been able to do is, is help leaders, um, you know, I, I, I'll go back and reference, you know, the, the first portion of this dialogue, um, have a good understanding of their people and facilitate um, their ability to remain present with their families and friends in time of need. The time they've given, the emotional balance they've given um, to these families who are struggling right now um, has just been tremendous. So while we've, we've been able to execute our operations, um, I almost think that the, the peace they've given the, the uh, uniformed um, and civilian employees of the Department of Defense, that they can do their jobs and handle their family responsibilities in these trying times has been uh, fantastic. On, on the actual operationalization of, of you know, mission to that end, um, it, it, it has been challenging um, from a leadership standpoint, uh, at least for me walking into a new job uh, where, where I don't have that opportunity to walk by somebody's cubicle, to see that they have uh, a sports trophy, to see that they have a, uh, a favorite team that, that, that they follow, um, a, a band that they like, uh, to see a picture of their family and just instantly be able to understand you know, who they have around them and what's important in their lives because we don't have that physical contact. Um, so that's been one of the most challenging parts for me is understanding the, the team that I have um, and creating that culture and that vision in a new position when, when I don't have those, those opportunities to just you know, do what I enjoy doing the most, which is, is walking about. Now, you're the new chief data officer. This administration uh, stated that uh, the pre- in the president's management uh, agenda said that data is a strategic asset, and you are the chief data officer for the Department of Defense. What are your responsibilities as the chief data officer? Yeah, I, I think it's making data truly the ammunition that the digital modernization strategy um, needs it to be, that the warfighters need it to be. Um, it's creating a, a data-driven uh, culture. Um, it's, it's helping establish the data force. Um, and when I say data force, I don't mean that in terms of space force. I mean that how do we map the entirety of, of the, the, the data professionals um, inside the department so that we can create that broad community of interest and that that improved ability to understand where a unique talent with a unique domain expertise is so that in time and space, we can get it to the right problem uh, before um, they even know that, that, that they have an issue that we can help them solve. So I believe it's unleashing the department's um, data so that it really can be that, that ammunition um, you know, the new ammunition of the Department of Defense. 
over the last decade, the technology landscape has drastically changed with the evolution of cloud computing, AI, quantum, and 5G. Before coming to Calibra, I uh, worked at, at a, a major cloud company, and every single time I would walk into the office and we'd have a big meeting, somebody would want to get some of that AI. But like you said earlier, it takes a whole lot of work to really make uh, some of these new technologies be harnessed. And that foundation of that work is data. Um, how do you believe this technology advances will change our lives and change some of the outcome and the way that the Department of Defense does their mission? Yeah, I, I think we're going to become much more proficient and efficient um, in a rapid manner. Um, you know, senior leaders really are captured by the opportunity. Um, General Hyten, um, you know, I, I I know he did a global town hall message uh, for Dana DC, and I believe in the six-minute segments, um, he said data 13 times. That was a pretty good indicator for my team um, that, that we definitely have uh, the prioritization right. I think where we'll see the department go is, is shoot for proficiency increases, um, and, and naturally what's going to emerge um, are all of those efficiencies um, from it. You know, data cataloging, just, just having a data catalog at the department level where we can make data visible and responsibly brokerable um, with some of the technologies that, that you've already mentioned here is going to be a, a, a huge boon for the department because, you know, when, when we start an AI project, we can map to a data set that has already been created as a training quality data set, map to a set of labels associated with that. So we don't have to start the same data project over um, every time. We can begin using some of those data sets that we've made visible and brokerable. What do you believe will be the biggest disruptor or accelerator for technology going into this next decade? I think the biggest disruptor of technology is going to be the demand signal from our tactical leaders um, who are beginning to get more and more reps with the technology that exists today um, and become better at translating the creative ways that they want to deploy it, uh, employ it rather. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we at SOCOM were able to do was, was take General Thomas's direction to um, use Project Maven and the algorithmic warfare cross-functional team um, and, and be the experimental force where we begin operationalizing it, not in a lab, uh, but in warfighting, has allowed all of our operators um, the chance to get their hands on the technology, to say what they like, to say what they don't like, to say what they actually need. Once we do that with the industry partners that are now uh, new and uniquely under the tent, I think what we're finding is that uh, we're creating conduits between the domain expertise um, and we're creating conduits in the technical fields and the, the magic uh, that they're going to create through that imagination and the, the um, I'll say the expansion of those, those individuals who are sitting in those unique conduit positions. Um, it's going to be a demand signal that's undeniable and our industry partners are going to help us recognize that future. So do you believe that the data strategy or the requirement of a data strategy is going to be required by the mission or business owners to the leadership? I mean, it will have to be integral to everybody's, you know, go to market plan or business plan or mission plan. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, I, I look forward to our data strategy being signed. Um, when I came to the department, I, I was afforded an opportunity to uh, take a, a, a pen over it one more time um, and then formally move it into staffing. Um, you know, it, it was two years in the works. Um, three months in, I can tell you, we now have moved that data strategy with full department concurrence uh, into the Dep- SecDef's office um, and hope to gain signatures shortly, at which point, you know, we look forward to, to rolling that out broadly to the department and really turning beyond strategy, but to implementation plans um, and, and then how we measure our progress towards that uh, with data maturity models. So uh, I think we're well on our path. We're going we're gonna to close the door on the data strategy. We're going to proliferate it. Um, and, and I think we'll see a willing department who recognizes the need to adhere to some of the principles that are in it. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with David Spurk, Chief Data Officer of the Department of Defense. Next, we'll find out what's David's advice to the next generation of federal leaders. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with David Spurk, the Chief Data Officer of the Department of Defense. Uh, David, I'd like to talk a little bit about your background and how you ended up, you know, where you are today. So let's start with, where'd you grow up? I, I uh, grew up all over the United States, but I, I call my formative years uh, in Conway, Arkansas. Where'd you go to college? I, I went to Hendricks College in, in Conway, Arkansas. Now, let's go back in time a little bit, David. And, uh, you know, if I found uh, you at 22 years old, um, what do you think he would say what he would be doing 25 years from now? Uh, de- definitely not this. Um, <laughs> and I say that uh, hopefully, hopefully you can hear the smile on my face. Um, I, I, I just never expected to be here. I think at 22 years old, um, I was really looking forward to, to seeing the world uh, as a United States Marine. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of that, that four year stint, um, recognizing, uh, the opportunity to, to whether it go back to school, um, or, or work my way into, uh, a, a head coach job somewhere, um, as a, a, a soccer coach, which was my, my passion when I was, um, at that age. Um, but, but definitely not have been on this, this journey I've been on. Um, it, it's been a lot of fun you stepping through this at the end of the four years when the question of uh, re-enlist or not came up, um, it, it was, it was absolutely, um, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, and then the opportunity to uh, continue service, not in uniform was given to me while I was at us Southern command. Um, and, and that's when I moved into the, the federal side of things um, after, you know, eight, nine years in, in the Marine Corps. Um, and I joined the Department of Army as a civilian. Wow. You really seem to have married your passion with your capabilities. Do you think that has contributed or at least fueled your success? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I don't think that you can uh, do anything well um, if you don't get up in the morning excited to go do it. Um, I also don't think you can lead a team um, if you're not there. You know, going, going all the way back to the, the, the comment I made on on, um, you know, the definition of leadership, um, you know, human understanding, um, your team also understands you and, and, and crave to understand you. 
And if they see that you're not showing up for work, excited to be in the position you're in and excited to help them find success moving towards that objective, um, they're not going to be as high performing for you either. So I think it's a two-way street there. If a listener out there would like to follow in your footsteps and maybe become a chief data officer or go into the data field, what advice would you have for them? Start early. Um, while learning the technical aspects of becoming a data professional, make sure that you find a domain that you can center yourself in. Make sure you understand what it takes to be a Marine. Make sure you understand what it takes to be a soldier, sailor, airman, Coast Guardsman. You know, you, you've got to understand a domain, not just a technical capacity if you're going to move into leadership positions. Um, I think too often in the past, we've had technical experts and domain experts, and we didn't have enough of what I previously called conduits, individuals who have an understanding of both of those so that they can um, bring technology and warfighting experience to accelerate the department or whatever organization's future. And I think I think that's what I would say. Don't just do one thing. Uh, make sure you ground yourself in an understanding of the domain that you're going to try and impact, that you're passionate about. Any pearls of wisdom that you would have for your next generation or maybe that you would share with your kids? Yeah, I, I, have, I have something I do, and, and I'm, I'm holding my, my, uh, my black moleskin here in my hand right now. Every time I, I have a new journal, uh, that I carry to meetings with me, um, I take the opportunity to write down the lessons that I've learned from those senior leaders that, that I've had an opportunity to work for. Um, I've, I've just been lucky. Um, sometimes I don't know why, why I've been this lucky. Um, to have some of the, the, the best in the department, the best in the, the national security community, allow me an opportunity to, to work for them. And uh, they, they always have pearls of wisdom. And, and I write them down in the front of my black book. And uh, what I do every time, so it's, you know, approximately every 60 days when I, I get a new black book, is I rewrite those down uh, on the inside front cover. And it becomes a way that I can take those leaders from my past who have taught me lessons and make sure that I'm staying grounded in the best of the lessons that they taught me. Um, so I'm looking down at the page now, and I'm, I'm, I'm remembering some of the people that, that, that helped me um, understand how to try and help other people as a leader. And, and uh, it's, it's pretty neat to think about um, that they've shared this wisdom. And so that would be my advice is, is find the best leaders, find a way to go work for them in any position, and make sure when they say something that really captures you, write it down and reread it throughout your career. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been David Spurk, the Chief Data Officer of the Department of Defense. Dave, I just want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some very valuable advice. Thanks, Elaine. I really appreciated the opportunity today. I'm Elaine Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Elaine Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.